This is the Lamplight Radio Play. This all happened in 1926. I was working as the night manager at a local newspaper. The name doesn't matter. It was a western seaport town. The thing you gotta know, though, back in the 20s, the telephone line didn't cross the country yet. So we got all our national dispatches from the telegraph. Uh, Okay, here's a good one. Bulletin storm. The naval commandant at Key West reported that Miami has been destroyed by the hurricane, and the people who died were caught in the destruction of their own homes. There is something ungodly about those nightwire jobs. Denver. Russell Wood is held without bail in connection with the fire which destroyed the historic Ravensworth home. You sit up there on the top floor of a skyscraper, eight stories above the world that's gone to sleep as a receiver operator types out the news as it comes in. The Army has developed a tracer bullet. A common news night is fires, suicides, murders, sometimes an earthquake with a casualty list as long as your arm. The official estimate of 200 dead is likely to be exceeded. New York, London, Calcutta, Bombay, Singapore. They're your next-door neighbors at night. American Ambassador Howell died here today. Now, the wire man takes it down almost in his sleep, picking it off on his typewriter with one finger. Cairo. Lieutenant H.F. Council and Carl T. Giddens were killed in an airplane crash. I come by every few minutes to sort out the piles and take them back to my desk and read if anything hot's come in. Atlanta Assistant Secretary Andrews, in charge of prohibition enforcement, reported a big So you sit and doze, and the operator tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-taps on his typewriter, and you wish you were home in bed. The early morning of the 16th. Looking at it now, there were a few weird things about that shift that I didn't notice at the time. The night operator was John Morgan, one of the best I've ever worked with. He was about 40 years of age, the sober, hard-working type. The first weird thing was around 2.33 a.m., Morgan says to me, Jim, does it feel stuffy in here to you? I said, no, but I'd open a window. He said, never mind, I'm probably just a bit tired. It was the first time I'd ever heard him say a word about himself, and I'd known him for three years. I didn't open the window. I just went back to work. It was also unusual when 20 minutes later, I noticed he opened up the other wire and was using both typewriters. John is what we call a double man, meaning he could run two instruments and type the stories on different typewriters at the same time. One of only three guys I've ever known who could do it hour after hour without making mistakes. I was a little surprised to see it that night because there hadn't been anything hot coming in. On my next trip to the sounder, I picked up the copy from both machines and started going through it. Press dispatches come in takes, with a few paragraphs of each coming through at a time. So you gotta sort them out. Uh, The first wire was running the usual sort of stuff. The second only caught my attention because it was from a town I had never heard of before. Zebico. Spelled X-E-B-I-C-O. Here's the dispatch. Zebico, September 16th, CP Bulletin. A record-setting fog settled over the town at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, reducing visibility to zero and stopping all car traffic. Scientists are unable to agree as to the cause. And then at the bottom, there's the time, 2.48 a.m., and John Morgan's initials, J.M., and that's it. Like I said, I noticed it because of the name of the town. There's the career you aim at, and then there's the job you can get. Before you start the job, the tragedies are, you know, interesting. That's why it sells papers. 
When you start working the wire, though, it, it piles on you. And for a while, you can't shake it off. But then it gets interesting again. Even more interesting than before you started. Murder robbery? That's boring. But a murder-suicide? That's exciting. Until something really awful comes by. And that breaks you. Stories about children can ruin me for weeks. There was a coal mine fire in Kentucky. That was a bad one for me. And then you get used to it again. And then excited and so on. Well, at least that's how it went for me. But for some, they fall in love with the death and misery. For them, it's like heaven. And that's how they stay. Next time I came by to get the copy, Morgan was slouched down in his chair, tapping away on both wires. And he had switched his green electric light shades so that the gleam missed his eyes. Again, only the usual stuff in the right-hand pile. But the left-hand batch carried another couple of stories from Zepico. Add fog. By 7 p.m., the fog had increased noticeably, blocking out all lights. The town is pitch dark. There was also a pungent odor similar to sour sweat. 3.01 a.m., J.M. And then, second ad, Zebico Fog, a sexton of a local church has been hospitalized after claiming to have seen the fog materialize in the churchyard. He said, at first I thought it was a morning mist, but then it began to rise above the headstones. It has texture. I could see strands twisting around. I kept working, but then something moved inside of it. I turned and ran. According to a nurse at the hospital, he ran to exhaustion and was brought in after he collapsed. He stated when he first arrived, he said screams were following him. But now he denies it. The man is currently unconscious, despite widespread skepticism to his story, a party left to investigate. 3.08 a.m., J.M. Weird story, isn't it? But it's not a story that would make the paper. It's just some weather and a gravedigger who got spooked. It's just not... It's not enough yet. People aren't meant to stay up all night. It takes about two weeks for a new worker to be able to stay awake for the whole shift. But even then, you never feel rested. For a little while, the stories kept seeping into my dreams. I remember one where I called by my parents' old house and everything and everyone had burned. Those dreams didn't last long, though, because then I stopped sleeping. At first, I thought it was because it was summer, when it's too hot to close up the windows and too bright to sleep with them open. But then winter came, and I still couldn't sleep. Part of the job, I guess. When I swung by next time, sure enough, another story from Zebico. New lead, Zebico Fog CP. The fog grows heavier. A rescue party which went to investigate the origins of the strange fog that shrouded the city since yesterday afternoon has failed to return. We have no communication with the town center, where the fog is heaviest. A second party is preparing to enter the fog to make contact. Near the outskirts of town, where the fog is thinner, Many residents have gathered in the local churches and the priests are holding prayer services. Grown folk and children alike are terrified. 
As one resident said, you can hear the fog. It sounds like wind in a giant tunnel, but there's no wind. It's a hard sound to understand. Never in a dozen years spent with the wires had I gotten worked up on the job. But I walked to the window and cracked it, let in some air. I realized I was looking to see if there was fog on the streets below. Morgan looked asleep. His head dropped down, but no, he tapped the dispatches on the two machines with one finger of each hand, the two machines rattling off line after line. I walked over and stood behind his chair, reading over his shoulder as the type appeared on the page. This dispatch was... it was hot. Ed, Zebaco. From my instrument on the 13th floor, I can see almost the entire city. The fog isn't an opaque mass. It swirls and rises so the city lights seem to blink on when the mass parts in front of it. The mass of fog is two blocks away. It is approaching steadily. A group of men and women ran out of the fog toward our building and one by one fell to their knees. Some have collapsed fully. There are screams from inside the fog. Strands have reached almost to the door of the building. Ad, Zebaco. No one is running anymore. They are all face down on the ground. Beside every person is a companion figure, an aura of varied colored hues. Fog figures. The fog figures kneel beside them. Some caress the people lovingly. Some people have been stripped of their clothes. The figures are petting them, or worse. The people writhe on the ground. Add Zebago Fog. A wall of hot steaming vapor has swept the scene. I can no longer see inside. Below me, the fog is changing colors. It seems to be lighted by internal fires. It begins to seep through the edge of the window. At this point, I look over at Morgan. He slouched over real low. His head is tipped to one side, and it's going to leave him sore. So I nudge him with my elbow. No response. So I say, Morgan, sit up. Nothing. I turn the lampshade back, throwing light squarely in his face. His eyes were staring. Fixed. Then he stopped typing. His hands fall down limp. I yelled at him. Morgan, Morgan, wake up. I grabbed his shoulder to shake him, but he was cold. Like he had been dead for hours. I told one of the boys downstairs to run and bring a doctor. Then I stepped next to him and called Chicago on the wire. They said that wire two hadn't been used all evening, but it was. It was sounding in our room. I'd seen it tap, tap, tapping. I grabbed a copy of the dispatches, put them on my case, and went outside to get some air. It was dead quiet. Cities aren't meant to be that quiet. But I caught my breath. My head cleared a little, and I walked the city till the sun came up. Then I got some breakfast at a diner and went home. I don't know what happened next, because I never went back. That was my last shift on the Nightwire. 
That was the last time I stayed up all night. Ever. But I do know dead men don't work typewriters. And there's no town of Zebaco in any atlas I've found. Want to hear the final dispatch? This is what he was taking down while I was worried about his neck. Add a Zebaco fog. I've made a discovery. There is nothing harmful in the lights. They radiate force and friendliness, almost cheeriness. I can now see the streets. They are filled with people. The lights will reach me any minute. That's it. That's the end of the message. That's when his hands fell off the typewriters. I guess that's how he broke the cycle. That was The Nightwire, based on the story by H.F. Arnold, found in Volume 2, Issue 3, starring Brian Coffey. The audio of the church was from Equal under a Creative Commons license, adapted and produced by Andrew Wardlaw. The thing about technology is it offered the promise of connecting, bringing us closer together to take away the unknown. Locked in a building with only the wire to bring in the outside world, sometimes we discover the horrors lies not in the unknown, but in knowing. You can find more stories like this in the pages of Lamplight Magazine. You can get a subscription on our website and we'll send ebooks direct to your inbox or Kindle. Your subscription supports both the magazine and the podcast. I'm Jacob Haddon, editor of Lamplight Magazine, the radio place produced by Andrew Wardlaw and myself. You can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or direct on our website, lamplightmagazine.com. See you next time. <laughs>